everyone, I'm Maddie. And I'm Emma. And we're the Huga Girls. Huga, in short, is the pursuit of everyday happiness. Each Monday, we give you the tools to build your happiness toolkit through discussing topics related to social media, health and wellness, pursuing your passions, and so much more. Welcome to the Huga Girls Podcast. What is up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Hookah Girls podcast. We are so excited to be back with you guys with another episode, another week, another Monday. It's a good day. Yes, such a good day. We are so excited to share this episode with you guys. There is so much fun, good, helpful relationship tea in this episode, and we can't wait for you guys to hear it. Oh my gosh, we are so stoked. Today we hosted um, virtually Dr. Megan Rice. She is a national board certified counselor with over 10 years of experience in the field. And she created Better Lives Building Tribes, which is an online counseling space where she really focuses on the way she described it, I said, was um, the intersection between individuals. So she was kind of talking to us about it's not just about you and how you perceive the world, but more so how you interact with others. So that can be romantically, romantically, regarding friendship, families, everything. She covers really everything under the sun in today's episode. Yes, absolutely. We talked about dating apps, being the single friend, common relationship concerns that people had, feeling confident on off days, how to succeed in romantic relationships, and honestly, so much more. We actually, if you didn't end up seeing it before the episode aired... We actually posted an advice little question box. So most of these questions came right for you guys. So if you asked a question, thank you so much for asking because it made this episode super fun and Dr. Megan had so much good stuff to say. No, it was incredible. So thank you guys again for asking all of your questions. And without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the chat with Dr. Megan. Hi, Dr. Megan. How are you doing? Thanks so much for being on the show today. Oh, I'm so stoked to be here. Yeah, can't can't wait to give you guys all the tidbits about mental health. All the tidbits, yes, of course. Thank you so much for joining us. We know life is very crazy. Um, I know there's so many schedules. I believe, aren't you on PST, Pacific time zone, right? I'm Pacific right now. Yep, I have uh, gotten wind that it's going to change here for daylight savings time. So Arizona doesn't change with the time change. And so oh. it like literally messes up my whole calendar. So I have to like mentally prepare for that change coming up. Yeah, November oh 7th, gosh. I think. Pacific time for now. Honestly, I'm jealous. I truthfully am. I think daylight savings is such a pain because it's already getting darker here earlier and then they're just going to kick it back because I'm on Eastern Standard Time and then Maddie's on Mountain Standard. We're We're in all different different zones. (laughs) But we all made it here today. Thank goodness for Google Calendar, right? (laughs) No, exactly. And like you were saying, the way of the world um, with Zoom and everything like that. So we so appreciate you being on the show. And um, our listeners had a little bit of insight into who you are um, before we jumped into this kind of, we call it the meat of the episode. Um, But for our listeners who don't know you or don't really have any insight into um, your background or what that is, why don't you give us your elevator pitch? Tell us who you are, what you're all about, and... Yeah, anything you're feeling inclined to share. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Patty. 
So uh, I think my career has definitely morphed over time. Uh, I started off, and it's been a decade now. <laughs> it's hard, hard to imagine that it's been that long already. But a decade, I have dabbled in every aspect of mental health at this point. I started off early in my career working in corrections. So I taught yoga to um, high security offenders, if you can imagine. And I slowly morphed over into community mental health and working with you know crisis and, and high critical need there. And so with that work, uh, I got involved with a lot of different community aspects. So um, adolescence was part of my work, adults, um, even young children to a certain degree, families, couples. And so I really had this comprehensive exploration, not only all of my clinical work that I did through school and practicum and my internship and dissertation, but then I had all of this experience coming together. And through that spot, I started to learn that, okay, when individuals have issues, right, and we all have issues at some point in our life, it's not necessarily about these individuals having issues that are only particularly related to themselves. It's these individuals, we are having issues because of our interaction with other people. And that's not to say that it's our fault that we're having um, certain interaction problems with other people, or it's that it's other people's fault that we're having interaction problems with other people. But I don't really feel like, and I learned this throughout my career, I don't really feel like that we're learning a lot about ourselves through ourselves. I feel like we learn the most about ourselves through these interactions with other people. And so, um, like I said, with my clinical work and my experience on that end, combining with um, this experience factor that said, like, we are dependent on other people. We are dependent on our community. We're finding value and identity and worth through these different dynamics that are going on with the people that are in our lives, loved ones, coworkers, peers, friendships, that type of thing. So I really wanted to hone in there. And so I created a private practice, betterlivesbuildingtribes.com. And in that work, I'm interested in bringing other people that are in our lives into sessions. So either you give me maybe a text message clip that they've sent kind of about you or their lens of you, or maybe we actually include them in a session in our work together, but I'm learning about you, your communication styles, your interaction styles, your socialization patterns, uh, passions, hobbies, interests. I'm learning about you through kind of these other people as part of your network. I'm very inclusive in my work. And so that quickly led to uh, this specialization with couples. I am really interested in our intimate partnerships. I think we learn a lot about ourselves through other people more globally. We learn so so much about ourselves when it comes to our intimate connections and our intimate relationships with other people. I think that's where we really start to see this, this breakdown of barriers and walls and our guard and our protective mechanisms. They really tend to kick into gear in that spot. And so that is my focus at this point. I am solely interested really in those intimate connections that we have with other people and seeing how we can not only improve our individual selves and making ourselves like the best version of ourselves, but also how we can improve our relationships and our commitment to the community with that investment in ourselves. So it's kind of like a, a win-win parallel play dynamic that works out really nicely at this point. So um, looking, looking forward to helping your audience with whatever questions uh, that have come up for them. But that tends to be where all of my effort uh, gets focused uh, now, now that I've had the combination of all those different aspects. 
I actually didn't know about you that you used to instruct yoga to, um, I, I don't want to say inmates, that's probably not the correct terminology there, but that's really cool that you started in that place. And I know that you have done a lot of online work and um, like you said, with Better Lives Building Tribes, you really dove deep into kind of the relationship side of it. Was there a reason that you chose to do an online um, practice as opposed to kind of a private practice setting like brick and mortar? A lot, a lot of reasons for that. I happened to graduate from DU uh, shortly thereafter, get my doctorate. Obviously, that takes a few more years. Um, but I married a military man. So he has taken me around the country. And so I can't really, it's not realistic for me to have a brick and mortar operation anyway. But I was learning over time that like people don't really want to drive somewhere, you know, like I-25 is pretty horrific in terms of traffic. And, you know, people were feeling like, you know, I don't want to burn the extra resources, you know, the the time, the money, the the expense, the the overall um, impending hurdles that I think are a little bit more prevalent now with the brick and mortar spots. People just wanted to like show up to sessions in their PJs and they want to like show up in their natural form. And like, how cool is it now? Thanks to COVID you know, maybe it was a little bit more so like this before as well. Um, But how cool is it to like show up on screen with your pets and, you know, like being able to hold and and cuddle a pet, you know, would have otherwise been neglected if we're going to like a brick and mortar spot or, you know, show up with a snack or, you know, be able to go to the bathroom when you want to, you know, I have clients that will like interrupt a session and be like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta like take a break for a minute. You know, this was, this was too intense and they can, you know, literally turn off the screen or mute things and like take a break, hang out and come back. So um, it it started off by force uh, that I couldn't necessarily see people at a brick and mortar. But then it came like a, oh, okay, this is is where it's at. People are really interested in just being um, transparent, authentic, raw in the moment where they're at rather than having to, you know, leaps and bounds uh, make all these efforts to go other places. So it just happened to work out really nicely. And I've only heard positive feedback really about the telehealth route since then. So, yeah. Yeah, I think COVID has really, really proven that our society can function virtually, which is crazy. Obviously, you know, we had technological advances before, but really everything has transitioned. I'm personally a public health major, so a lot has, you know, transferred there in terms of telehealth and mental health and beyond. Um, And I think that's great. I think it makes people more comfortable in their space, maybe more comfortable opening up to something that they wouldn't want to open up with, like in person with someone you've never met. Um, And I know there's so many resources out there that offer online, you know, counseling, therapy, um, all of the above, which is, which is great. And it's, you know, it's really whatever the, it's whatever the clients are wanting. It's whatever the people are wanting. If you can deliver that, which obviously you can in a virtual world, I think that's great. Yeah, and I think that also kind of going off of that, I think it's cool because you are able to be on the show with us today in um, a completely virtual setting. And while this isn't necessarily a therapy session and um, these aren't your clients, (laughs) we do have um, a lot of questions that we got from our listeners. So what we did was we submitted or sent out a Google form so that Listeners, followers of our Instagram um, were able to really anonymously ask you questions and there is a wide range. Um, There's some, we had some paragraphs in here of like kind of advice scenarios um, and we have some that are just really kind of rapid fire in terms of your opinion um, and what you would do in the situation, I guess. So I kind of just wanted to dive right into that. Um, 
Like I said, some of them are going to be kind of quick responses. You can follow up as much or as little as you want to. Um, and we have probably, I would say, like 10-ish or so questions um, that we just pulled. So the first one that I thought was really interesting was, is it unfair or fair to want your significant other to delete their Instagram photos with their ex? <laughs> that that good one. Yeah, full, fully loaded right off the bat here. Yeah. So, uh, in my couples work, this question, I feel like this question keeps coming up more and more as we're gaining like so much momentum in the social media world. So yeah. what I'm advertising to my clients in couples counseling oftentimes is uh, I think we have to be true to our form. Right. So I'm not talking about like going through your social media account and like deleting anything that could be mis misconstrued as, you know, not in alignment with who you are today. But I want to make sure that we're being as open and transparent and raw and authentic as we possibly can right now in this moment moving forward. Like I said, I'm less concerned about the past and, you know, like I said, d deleting all of the X stuff or going through and like uh, combing it out with a fine tooth comb. But I am interested in this. If you are in a committed relationship or you are dedicating all of your efforts towards one spot, you know, it, it could be one spot that's filled with many people, as long as you've kind of outlined that in your parameters in terms of your interaction with your different partners, if you have different partners, right? So we have to act in accordance with the rules that we outlined with our current relationship. So let's say you're in a monogamous relationship with someone, you've already talked about that status with them. I think it's really important to advertise on social media you in that natural form as a monogamous partner to this particular person that you affirm the status with. So I like to see profile pics of you with your partner. <laughs> I think I think that's a nice advertisement of a monogamous partnership that you've already confirmed the status with. Um, I also like to see like regular posts of you with your partner because there's a pretty good chance throughout the week or throughout the day or throughout the month, you're going to be doing something with them. And that as long as you're on a regular rhythm of advertising your status in its natural form, I think it's totally fair to say that you're going to have the occasional post with your friends or the occasional post with you eating your breakfast or an occasional post where your partner's not included. But the overall global view, and I tell my couples, hey, let me be friends with you. I want to be your Facebook friend. I want to be your social media follower um, because I want to be able to go in there and say, like, from an outsider perspective, could I look into your social media and say, like, you're in a committed monogamous relationship with this particular partner. No questions asked. It just leaves uh, this barrier up that says, okay, world, I'm in a monogamous committed relationship right now. And so like independent from my past, independent kind of what, what was transpiring there before, I want you to know from this point forward that all of my efforts are put into this particular status category that I've already defined the bounds for. So uh, very present moment, very mindful, focused in terms of our presentation with social media. Yeah, I think that absolutely makes sense. And that's very fair to ask of your partner just to not make it hidden. If you are someone that's active on social media and that's a relevant and important person in your life, I think you know, naturally they're going to show up or should show up on your account so you're not hiding anything secretive and I think that's a better approach than just being like you have to delete everything else that you know isn't pointing directly to a relationship because that can obviously lead down the lines of like 
little overprotective, maybe a little overbearing, but just having that consistency showing that you are in a committed relationship. That makes a lot of sense. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, yeah. So our next question was kind of advice oriented um, and it was one of the more paragraph ones, I would say. So I'm just going to read exactly what this person said. And they said, okay, so I don't want to be dramatic, but I am always, in all caps, the single friend. Like, I've never dated anyone. I've been on one first date and it was not a vibe. Did I mention I'm in college? LOL. It's so hard seeing relationships around me and feeling like I'm missing out or behind or too innocent. I know I need to put myself out there more, but it's not my personality and it's terrible for my self-esteem. Any advice? Yes. Uh, Very easy. And I've heard this from a lot of the college folks that I see. I think it's very easy to get caught up in like this friendship friendship vibe, Um, especially if we're keeping most of our interactions revolving around our organic environment. And so when I say organic environment, it's hard for people to kind of conceptualize this. But think about like what you're doing on a daily basis, right? Are you going to the coffee shop, your regular coffee shop, the same coffee shop every single day? Are you going to the gym, the same gym, the same vibe, same time frame usually correlating with your schedule? So organic in the sense of like we are regularly showing up in these types of environments, we are probably never going to escape this friendship type zone dynamic that we're outlining in our organic relationship um, dynamic with, with other people that we're associated with. So I think it's really easy for people to kind of understand from an external point of view. I think it's people, it's really easy for people to understand that like, okay, this, this person for whatever reason is off limits, not necessarily because of something that they're doing or saying or being, but just because they're a frequent flyer in this zone and other people are going to feel like they don't really want to interrupt the organic vibe. You know, a lot of my younger folks say like, oh, I don't want to like hit on that person because they're like in my class, right? You know, if, if something awkward yeah. were to go down, I have to like show up for class every day with this person. And like, that's not fun for anybody. That's going to make things really awkward. Going outside of your organic environment is going to be like the ultimate go-to. And, you know, that's not to say that there aren't some issues in regards to like how you're advertising yourself. But I think we first need to get outside of your organic vibe into this unknown, which is really scary for people. And I say like something like Bumble BFF, you know, or a Tinder to kind of like meet people that are outside of our comfort zone. Um, Nextdoor app is another great avenue. Meetup.com, doing groups or activities that are outside of your organic environment, that's the first step. And if we go outside of our organic environment and we're still having the same hiccup in terms of like not getting out of this friendship zone, I think that's where we start to maybe think about a professional and say like, okay, maybe there's a professional that could like see this outsider lens and give me the scoop on like what it is about me, obviously outside of my organic environment that's impeding my ability to get close or have an intimate relationship with someone. So I kind of have a follow-up question going off of that, and this was asked later on, so we can always dial back to it if you want, but you mentioned like Bumble BFF or Tinder or something like that. Um, Someone asked what your thoughts were on dating apps and if they work in your opinion, because I mean, it's kind of a... I I would say well-known thing that a lot of people on dating apps um, are either one, looking for a hookup or two, have an avoidant personality type. And so they're not looking for that relationship. Um, And so this person said that they feel like they're setting themselves up for failure if they're going into it thinking, hey, this is a way I can potentially meet someone to date. What are your thoughts on that? I'm a little biased. I'm not going to lie because I met my husband on Tinder. (laughs) So 
I, I think nothing but great things about Tinder. So it wasn't necessarily about this, this fear for me, you know, that, that I would encounter these apps and like people are only there for hooking up or people are only there, um, because, you know, they're the ones that didn't get a catch, you know, in other environments, you know, kind of like this leftover group of people that are kind of like misfits for the world. So I I was less interested in that. And I still today with my couples and still advertising relationships for other people, I'm interested in the statistics. So I am interested in getting people in front of more people in whatever way we need to do that. If you wanted to do like an eHarmony thing, you know, where it actually has like assessments and, and different means of seeing if you're congruent with other people, great. All I want is like the statistic to go up in terms of it's really hard to find this ideal match for us. It's not just a, you know, everyday run of the mill experience where we're really going to get synced up with this this particular match for ourselves. So whatever place you want to land on in terms of A, getting outside of your organic environment and B, having lots of people to choose from, I think that is the way to go. I'm also a huge fan of pushing for the live interactions, right? So let's use Tinder, Bumble BFF, um, you know, eHarmony.com, Match.com. Let's use all of those for what they are, really a statistics upper game. And then let's make sure that we're showing up in front of these people that we're meeting on these apps in a live way. Safe, Obviously, we want to go to a public coffee shop. We want to go where there's lots of people around and we're never putting ourselves in a situation where, you know, things could be misconstrued or we could be taken advantage of or, you know, we could be kidnapped or what, whatever the, the negative scenario is in terms of meeting new people. Like we want to make it very safe. Also very quick, right? I, I tell my my couples or my folks that are looking for a new relationship, please do not expect to spend long periods of time with people if we are going to really dedicate these efforts to meeting them in real life. A quick coffee, a quick tea, a quick like, hey, I have to go after 30 minutes type of vibe. So we're doing a quick, uh, hey, what is it like to to interchange some conversation in real life? You know, what what are you? Who are you presenting? yourselves? Do the photos kind of match who I'm, I'm meeting in real life? You know, does does your profile align with these characteristics that are showing up in real life? So quick, quick turnover. I'm big on the higher stats, the quick turnover, and just this constant flow of like, I don't even want to go towards the like catfish vibe of things or having the potential to, you know, have this person who has no real intentions of having a relationship. Fine. Also, not what most of my my folks are looking for in terms of these intimate relationships. So that's kind of my my go-to advice for the online stuff, but huge fan as long as we're strategic and very efficient in how we approach it. Yeah, I definitely think there are so many benefits. Obviously, you benefited from a little online dating app, and it, it really is just like practical in our world today. Honestly, there's so much done online, and so why not take those opportunities to just, like you said, meet people outside of your organic environment that you really would have never met. Um, but now switching more to trying to find a relationship into some questions re- regarding people that are already in a relationship, we have a quick question um, that says, what should you do if they, I'm assuming your partner, loves you more than you love them in a relationship? And how can you try, try to equalize that love? Honestly, I think there's a certain degree of that in every relationship. 
I don't know that I've come across a relationship yet in my career or personally where I can say 100% without a doubt, you guys are on equal playing fields in terms of like love for each other. But I also recognize that like people have different love languages. So it's also really hard to conceptualize like who actually loves each other more, you know, say someone is an acts of service type of um, love language. Okay, so one person is is doing lots of acts of service for the other person, but if the, the other person is, is gifts in terms of, like, how they're giving their love, it's really hard to compare, like, who's doing more acts of service compared to like who's giving more gifts, you know, so really hard to kind of conceptualize that. So I I wonder if I would spend less time kind of focusing on this quantity, this metric of love, and more so go for, okay, so in terms of maybe feeling like one person is overdoing it, is there something that could be done so the other person isn't feeling so obsessive or isn't feeling so claustrophobic to the one partner, whereas the other partner is going to come back with a things that they could do to feel a little bit more equitable with not being obsessed like the the earlier partner is or not loving too much, but also like loving more than they're currently loving. So like how how can we get to the middle ground in a way that that feels a little bit better? Um, and I think we gain that insight from both partners saying like, Hey, I, I, we maybe even can understand that maybe there's, there's a metric that feels a little bit wonkier, but is there anything that we could do on either side that makes it feel a little bit better rather than getting a little bit too caught up in the actual metric itself, uh, paying attention to the feeling, um, with, uh, this individual, I'm assuming female, is is feeling like the the man is is um, mm-hmm. more obsessed with her or more into her than she is into him. I wonder if there's something about her specifically that is making him feel like he needs to attach more. Um, so that would be something I would explore in a couple's counseling dynamic that says. Is she pulling away so much that that's kind of forcing him to want to attach more, right? I think people attach, they want to control things when they feel insecure. So is there something that she's doing saying otherwise um, that might be leading to that vibe? Obviously, you know, this is a very external view. I don't know the specifics of the case, but um, worth exploring that um, just to make sure we're not we're not poking him. Maybe that is part of his natural character, but maybe we're also kind of poking him um, and getting more of a obsessive type controlling reaction than we otherwise would if we weren't doing this thing or saying this thing. Absolutely. And I think that actually this really transitions very nicely into one of the advice questions that we got, um, which I personally, when I read this, I was like, I understand why this girl is feeling so anxious because her question said, um, I could use some advice. I really like my new boyfriend, but we've only been dating two months and he keeps making comments about wanting to be with me forever and wanting to marry me. I think it's really sweet, but I'm uncomfortable with the topic of marriage so early on into the relationship. I feel like I'm disappointing him by not wanting to talk about it. How do you suggest I go about this in a way that's good for both of us? Thank you. So I think that that kind of ties back into he may be grasping on to something like you were saying, and we obviously have the external perspective, right? We don't know these people, but what would you say 
in terms of suggestion one is that a red flag that he's talking about it so early on um and how do you go about kind of navigating this in a way that isn't going to upset the other person i guess yeah, it's hard because I also see like on the clinical side, people that are like so intensive in the beginning, you know, call it peacock, you know, peacocking if you want to, mm-hmm. you know, put all their pretty feathers up front. It's really easy for those people that come off with like such high levels of intensity to fizzle out quickly too, right? So just be so headstrong and so intense and so impulsive in the beginning. Like a lot of times you won't see those people winning, winning the marathons, so to speak, you know, they're not there for the endurance they're there for the quick sprints um and then it could leave that partner feeling like oh my goodness I jumped on board with like this level of intensity and now there's like nothing you know it it fizzled and um I really like to be able to rein things in on both sides anyway to say like slow and steady is winning these races um quick impulsive you know let's put all of our fancy feathers out in front we're only going to have brown feathers brown rusty old decrepit feathers on the back end Um, And that's not the goal, right? We want to be able to maintain a lot of these pretty feathers throughout our relationship in order to sustain the longevity of it. So for this particular um, female that is feeling uncomfortable with like such high levels of intensity, I'm all about authenticity and transparency. And so I would really push for a conversation with him in particular that said, I absolutely adore the fact that you're so into me and that you can picture me forever and that you always want me to be a part of your life. I absolutely think that is worth its weight in gold. However, I really want to make sure that we pace ourselves because, you know, Dr. Megan said, (laughs) people that come across as so intense in the beginning tend to also fizzle out really quickly. And I don't want that for us. I really want to see the longevity in our relationship. And I wonder if there are things that we could do to kind of change things up a little bit to make sure that we are slowing the pace down. And even though you do think about me that way, maybe we talk about it less. You know, maybe maybe that is, you know, less of a outwardly conversation that we're having on a regular basis and more just something that you keep to yourself, but we acknowledge it as a whole, as a relationship occasionally, um, you know, when it comes up in the status of our relationship, right? So just re- really bringing that conversation to the forefront that says like, we, we need to talk about this and I think we need to come up with a better way to pace ourselves um, so we don't fizzle. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I think fizzling is something that it's almost like a roller coaster throughout relationships. Like you feel so headstrong at first and then you kind of dip and then you regain that kind of passion again. Um, so it, this question was really interesting to think about because, you know, as young people and most of our audiences, you know, a younger like Gen Z audience too, like thinking about marriage and stuff can be really intimidating when you're not ready for that step. So I think everything you said is absolute great advice and hopefully that helped our friend out who was asking about it. Um, to move on to the next question, this is kind of pivoting to um, relationship issues that maybe you think is maybe would be presumed as more intense. Um, It says, how do I cope with my boyfriend being in a social environment, drinking around other girls when I'm not there? So this is someone that sounds like they like to go out. Maybe they don't live near each other, um, but constantly going out around other girls. um, And this person's feeling a little uneasy by that. 
Yeah, I don't blame her, right? Because what happens when we use substances, any substance, and I'm not a particular, like, you know, we absolutely have to do sobriety in order to live a nice, wholesome life. I think we can do things in moderation. But the effect that substances has on us is to lower our inhibitions, right? So whereas we would, you know, advertise ourselves in a monogamous relationship and are very committed and very loyal, you know, there's something about a substance that can kind of like bring down those barriers just enough to make us advertise ourselves in maybe a way that's not entirely transparent with the way that we've advertised to our significant others. Um, And it's not necessarily to say that we're bad people, because I, I think everyone who, you know, has dabbled in substances to a certain degree can align with this idea that we're not truly in our real, authentic, raw form during that time. Lowered inhibition, lower guard leads to different behaviors, you know, different things that we say or do that we're not always proud of, honestly. You know, I've met a lot of angry drunks and I've also met, you know, a lot of happy drunks. Um, Either way, it's still kind of changing our normal vibe in terms of how we're interacting with other people. And so for this particular case, I think there might be a way where we say like, okay, I don't necessarily want you to eliminate drinking or eliminate substance use, right? Because I don't know that we need to do that to be wholesome people. But I do think there's a way of saying like, okay, we're going to have certain limitations for ourselves as individuals, knowing that this particular limitation is going to make our relationships healthy. So um, in my house, we have like a, if there's no socialization going on, there's also probably not going to be any sort of substances, you know, al- alcohol, you know, drinking. There, there has to be a social environment in order to <laughs> attribute the, the alcohol use just so we're pairing up um, some degree of limitations on our behavior to keep it in check with the moderation stuff. Hey, if you're going out and I'm not with you, maybe there's a, I don't drink at all, or at least I only drink X amount when I'm not with my partner, right? So it's not a, I have to be sober when I'm with this partner and it's a huge drag of a thing, but it's also like a, okay, is there a healthy balance between us two? You know, the the girl might say, I don't want you to drink at all. And he may say, I just want to do whatever I want and drink. I think we could have a healthy middle ground that says, hey, how about we eliminate substances while you're not with me? And then when I'm with you, um, it doesn't really matter what you use or, you know, some sort of variation like that, that that's the result of a collaborative conversation. Um, so, you know, one or both parties isn't feeling like the the other person's either overbearing or the other person's being completely neglected. I think I think there's a happy medium there. Yeah, I think that, I mean, we've said it on the podcast before, everything in moderation, you know, like it's, you don't have to be so extreme on one end or the other. Um, So I really, I really do like that kind of pivoting a little bit for another person who is um, currently in a relationship. They asked, is it incorrect of me to compare my current relationship to an old relationship? So I don't know if this means in terms of intimacy. I don't know if this means in terms of love language or this person used to compliment me all the time or this person used to pay for more or whatever, but um, apparently there's some sort of comparison going on here. Is that unhealthy? I would say if if I was going to answer it globally, I would say it's probably not healthy uh, to compare a previous relationship. Why? Because we're not in the previous relationship for usually a very specific reason. And so 
we've ended that relationship or we've decided that it's not the best fit for us and we're embarking on this new relationship that's supposedly supposed to be a better fit for us than the last relationship. So there's no sense in comparing this new fresh relationship to our previous relationship if we're arguing that this, pre- this, this current relationship is a better fit for us. Right, It just seems like it's kind of regressive in our thinking to think that we need to set this new fresh one up against old one that is no longer a meeting criteria to be in our lives anymore. Just seems kind of counterproductive. But I would say uh, that it's probably healthy to think about certain characteristics that we had in our last relationship as characteristics that we do want to bring forward in terms of where we're headed in the future. Um, Obviously, we don't have specifics here, but I think about like, okay, my previous relationship, I didn't feel like he was loyal at all, right? So loyalty is something that um, I want to bring into this next relationship. So I'm screening for loyalty with my current um, partner. Similarly, maybe there was uh, a kind-heartedness about my last relationship, and I want to make sure that I'm including that kind-heartedness in my next relationship, but I'm leaving behind um, a different characteristics that, that wasn't quite as suited. So I think we can pull from the positive aspects of our last relationship and make sure that we're including it in our, our current um, or future relationships But an overall comparison, like I talked about before, it's really hard to have a solid metric that says, okay, my current relationship is a is a five and my last relationship was a three or, you know, my last relationship was a five and my current relationship with a, was a three. So I, I just think it's a, too hard of a metric. It's too hard of a comparison to do that. Much easier to say, like, I want this particular set of characteristics or I want to leave this particular set behind. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially with just setting standards for what you want in a relationship. You're obviously going to look back and see what's important for you and a new partner, but not going through specifics of, oh, this person took me on two dates a week and you've only taken me on one, you know, like the nitty gritty kind of stuff that can kind of just drive you crazy if you focus too much on comparison. But I think, um, you know, having those standards and looking for those traits that are important in a partner, like you were saying, is not really problematic to bring forward because you're setting yourself up for success of what you want um, in your new partner. So the next question that we got was, what's your advice for when you're having a quote ugly week or day and you just don't feel confident for yourself or you don't feel confident, you know, being around your partner because you're not liking how you're feeling um, and just in a relationship in general when you're lacking that confidence and it's affecting you wanting to be around other people or your partner. Yeah, and I think it's just totally human nature, right? To go through like the ups where you're feeling like really good and you could take on the world and like therefore your partnerships tend to jive a little bit better with that. And then there's going to be down times, you know, and that's independent from actually having a clinical disorder. It's just we we have down times and I think it's less about whether or not we're going to have down times and more about like how we can prepare ourselves for the fact that it's coming or it's here and how we can prepare our partners for the fact that it's coming or it's here. Um, One of the things I use in my marriage, and I encourage this with couples too, is I usually go into like the 
the moment at which I've realized that we're, we're kind of leading into a bad day or we're leading into, you know, not such a great experience. I'm quick to tell my husband that I'm like in a funky funk, right? So like he knows that from me, that's the indication that says like, I'm not going to be functioning at my highest capacity right now. Like I'm just barely hanging on, right? Well, we'll be lucky if I get a shower in today and like maybe eat three meals, but we're not talking about anything magical. And so it's just this cue for him to, to, change his behavior and just be a little bit softer and use kinder words and be a little bit more supportive and like really kick the empathy up a couple notches. Whereas otherwise, you know, if I were to present him with my funky funk without kind of prefacing the fact that I'm there, I think his propensity to absorb that personally would be really high. And I don't want that. I don't, I don't want him to absorb my funk as his funk because then we have nobody getting me out of my funk and I need some help <laughs> working through it. Um, so I think it's, it's the prefacing. It's the preparing our partners for what condition we're in, uh, knowing that we can't be perfect humans. Yeah, and I, I think that that is just general communication. Like it's so funny. We've actually talked about this um, in previous episodes and in our last episode specifically with – um, kind of that mutual respect for the other person in the relationship, whether it be romantic or friendship or family, is that communication aspect. Because how are they supposed to know if you don't communicate with them? And um, so kind of pivoting a little bit away from that and more back into the dating realm. Um, I know we've talked a little bit about dating apps and I was hearing what you were saying about and taking note for my own self of like you need to just put yourself out there and it's all about like you said the statistics of getting to meet people and that face-to-face interaction and everything and keep it short and that's advice that I have never really heard before is like don't go out and have this nice grandiose dinner and sit with them for three hours like grab a coffee do something for 30 minutes be like hey I have plans Um, So that kind of leads us into that first date talk, right? Because it's always like, especially if you meet them on a dating app, you don't really know much about them. It's not like you can mention a mutual friend or something like that. So um, how much should you share on a first date? What should you not share? What are some topics of conversation that you think um, really are going to kickstart a conversation to let the other person know who you are and you get to know them in that short amount of time? It's so funny that you asked me that because um, I often do this kind of training and coaching vibe, a lot for my younger generation folks. You know, I've got a lot of um, CU Boulder students on my caseload, and uh, we talk a lot about... I'm interested, so when we're meeting someone for the first time, right, and I'm a big pusher, like I said, about getting these these folks in real life. Like, I am not all about the catfishing. I love that show. I think that show is the coolest show on the planet, <laughs> but, like, I am not looking to have my clients uh, end up on that show, right? So we are trying to get these folks in real life, and I am interested in the exchange that happens within this, you know, 30-minute vibe of meeting someone for the first time. And so key things that I'm looking for here. I am looking for someone that is able to share parts of their past without getting stuck there, right? So um, obviously I ask questions for a living, so I'm really good at asking questions, but I encourage (laughs) people on these um, dates, on these 30-minute increments of meeting people to really ask deeper ended questions, you know, like, tell me about where you grew up and tell me about like what what your childhood was like. And tell me about your folks and your siblings. And, you know, like, what are your passions, hobbies, interests? I'm not interested in, in here to talk about the weather. I'm interested to see like, 
can can you go deep, deeper than average, you know, deeper than surface level in terms of answering a full answer to my questions that I have for you instead of, you know, because you can kind of start to see people reroute or get uncomfortable or their body language changes or not giving you full answers or, um, wanting to stay surface level, people that are uncomfortable going past surface level are going to show you. Um, but I also don't know that you're going to be able to have an intimate conversation with this person or be intimate with them at some point if there's not a initial willingness to, to dig a little bit deeper than, than just this casual exploration of our day or the weather or the, our, our basic level surroundings. Um, so I'm interested in the how. I'm interested in what the person's response is to the questions that I'm asking them. I'm also interested in their ability to volley back and forth. So if I ask you a question, can you listen to the question that I asked you and then answer according to the question that I that I asked you. And similarly, once you're done answering fully, completely, can you then go on and ask me a question about me? So can you redirect the conversation back on me? This is a volley back and forth. This isn't an interview where I'm just asking you a whole bunch of questions and you just regurgitate information. You need to show some interest in me too. So I'm asking my students to pause and see if the other person can come up with some interest on, on their side too. So it goes back and forth. Um, Another problem that I found with my own personal experience in dating, uh, obviously, like I said, I'm a huge fan of stats, right? So I had a lot of people sit down in front of me. I'm interested in this person being able to continue the conversation without my prompt. <laughs> and then that seems like a very basic thing. But when we're doing this volley back and forth where I ask you a question, you answer the question, then you ask me a question, I'm also interested in you giving me more information than just one word or just answering my questions and then the conversation falls flat. So I want the volley back and forth that's, that's regenerating more conversation as we go along. You'll know <laughs> whether or not the person can come back and continue the conversation. If they can't, you're going to feel exhausted by the end of 30 minutes. 30 minutes where you're forcing someone to come up with a conversation is a much different 30 minutes than a casual like, hey, Maddie, tell me about you and I'm going to tell you about me and we're going to go back and forth and it's going to feel like very effortless. You are going to know if you're walking walking away from a situation where that person is not interested or can't um, maintain a, a healthy level of conversation. Also looking for, and I know this is a lot in, in the answer to one question here, but no, it's no, great. It's a lot. Taking notes over here. <laughs> yeah, this is my uh, like 30 minute rundown of how to make the most out of your time uh, when you're in front of someone real life face to face. Also interested in this person's insight into their own life, right? So here's an example, um, so to speak, of someone who's going into a conversation and they're kind of lacking insight as to how they got to this spot in their life. I think if we, you know, talk to someone about passions, hobbies, interests, and we get a lot of 
well, you know, I wanted to do this particular thing, you know, say I wanted to rock climb or I wanted to be a rock climber or I wanted to, you know, run marathons, but, 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 but. So they, they have these ideas of, you know, the things that they wanted to be, or the things that they wanted to do or the things that they kind of have on the horizon. But there's always like a, like a theme. So it's just this constant, like there was always something in the way of me being the best version of me. Um, I don't want to get caught up in counseling my intimate partnerships, right? So I don't want to be your therapist when I'm dating you. I have no problem being your therapist if you're my client, but I don't, I don't want to kind of like pull you along through life. So if you are already telling me that there are more hurdles in your life to get you to the best version of you, then there are actual efforts towards that goal. It's probably not going to be amazing in terms of their ability to line up with a relationship. Um, also paying attention to the view of their life. So I think there's plenty of people that will sit down and have a conversation with you. And like I said, the, this feeling of drain, you're also going to walk away with a feeling of drain if we're talking about someone who's going to sit sit down and say um, that there is like no positive way to view the world. There's, there's no positive way to view themselves. There's no positive way to view other people. And there's no positive way to view the world more globally. You're just going to get this vibe of not only are there so many hurdles going on, but there's also this perspective problem that says like, they're probably not going to be able to jump on board with being intimate in an intimate connection with me because their lens is already so discolored in a lot of ways um, that the, the lack of optimism is going to be a huge hurdle in terms of like my ability to pair up with that. I'm not a naturally pessimistic type of human. So if you're going to put me in front of a, a pessimistic type of human, hopefully it's in within the work that I do. But if it's just out and about, it's going to be really draining on me. I can't have that type of mentality in my personal life in the same way that I can help it professionally. So it's just this keeping a lookout for how this this other person is viewing the world. There's a pretty good chance if it's optimistic, they can jump on board with with your level of optimism or pessimism, hopefully a good combination of both. Um, but if it's chronically negative or there's chronically so many hurdles, it's really going to impede the ability to be intimate. Oh, absolutely. And I what I really like about everything you just said, like you said, you were joking. It's like, here's my like catch-all dish for like what you should do in your 30 minutes on the first date. But What I really like about everything that you just said was, one, it's tangible steps, right? Because there's so many times where um, there were a couple questions that we're not going to be able to get to today just because of timing where people were like, okay, how do I – how do I find Mr. Right, right? Like, how do I do it? Because everyone always just says like, oh, stop looking and he'll come along or you'll just happen to run into him and you're sitting here and you're saying, well, it's statistics, right? So you have to put yourself out there. You have to meet people. And also don't waste all of your time, effort and energy on a four-hour date with someone. Sit down, have the 30 minutes, do X, Y, and Z, check off all these boxes. You're going to know at the end of the 30 minutes if you want to spend more time with them or if you're drained and you're going to know those basic things. You're going to know if they banter back and forth, if they can prompt you and it's not just like an interview. So I really appreciate everything that um, you had to say. And I think that that's kind of going to wrap up um, our main portion of the episode. We have like three or four more questions um, just about, I would say therapy, counseling in general, um, as opposed to 
um, the more relationship side of it and everything like that. Um, but just kind of rounding out, first off, thank you from us, from our listeners, um, for giving all of the advice that you did. Thank you for being on the show. Two specific questions about therapy, about counseling, that kind of thing. Um, and they kind of go intertwined, so I'm going to ask them together. But one is, what is a common misconception people have about therapy or counseling? And the second one is, what would you tell those people who are skeptical of therapy? Like, I guess, what the misconception is and how to overcome it and why this can be a beneficial thing. Yes. So I would say that the misconception is that I sprinkle fairy dust onto people and they're just magically transformed into this better version of themselves. So so that is not how therapy operates. But I also don't want to um, dismiss the hardship, right, that, that comes with therapy. And like you had talked about, Maddie, uh, people trying to overcome this barrier or this hurdle that gets to therapy because the other side of sprinkling magical fairy dust would be that, you know, it's impossible to change who I am and no therapist in the world is going to be able to do that. So I don't like to think about life in terms of spectrums. I don't like to think about the fairy dust and I also don't like to think about how, you know, anything is impossible. I think we can have like a healthy gray here that says, I am interested in connecting with another human being that has an external lens on my life. So that does not include my mom or or my dad or my siblings or my best closest girlfriends or, um, you know, my boss or my, my supervisor or my coworkers. I am looking for a human being that I look up to in some sort of professional way, aspire to be like them, aspire to live my life like them, aspire to, you know, I talked about this on We Met at Acme, um, this inspiration of wanting to have a relationship like my therapist who I'm doing couples counseling um, with has. So it's this inspiration in the life phase. It's connecting with someone that has an external lens on my life that's impartial, not biased, um, at all. And it's the safe spot to really just unload anything and everything that comes to mind because we as professionals can take apart all of your verbal vomit and piece it back together in a really nice, healthy way. And we can put like a bow on top that says like, okay, I totally understand what your problems are. Let me reflect what those issues are back to you to make sure I fully understand. And if that's good with you, let me share with you all of these coping skills that I have in my bucket of resources. And you pick out something out of my bucket that I share with you that works for you. And we're going to do that together in this journey. It's not going to be quick. It's not going to be overnight, but it is going to be measurable enough that you can see positive changes over a certain period of time. And it's going to want to keep you showing up. Um, because I don't know that there's another spot in the world where we get that full experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I, li- I like what you said about verbal vomit of just like, I feel like everyone needs to just get out their feelings sometimes to get out that verbal vomit. Like we all have it inside of us, even if we don't know. I feel like one of the issues with therapy too is people not wanting to admit that they're holding stuff inside, but we've all been through so much. We all have built up so much throughout our lives that we don't even know is there. Like I think therapy, truly, like even if you didn't think you needed it, quote, I think if you went, you would find that you would just uncover something because we all have things that we've experienced throughout our life that are weights that we could probably get off of us just through like actual professional conversation and like a 
conversation that's guided in a way that we're actually being listened to. Um, and I think that's just absolutely great. Like, I think therapy is always something that is positive. Like, it really should never be stigmatized. You should never be judged for wanting to better yourself and work on yourself and have someone um, really look into who you are. And it's surprising because, like, you're talking about that external view. Sometimes you can you don't even see things in yourself that maybe like a therapist could see in you because you do have that external view and you're like, wait, this is, they're right. That is what's going on. I didn't even realize that I was having problems with um, self-esteem or I didn't realize that I was having problems with trusting my partner. But now that I look at my life in a scope, a full scope with my therapist, I mean, I, it, it makes sense. So absolutely love everything you said. So thank you so much for sharing that. I think that therapy is an amazing thing for everyone. Um, and just to wrap it up, I want to give you a chance to give us any more information, any more tidbits that we have not asked you yet today. So what is one question that we have not asked you yet that you feel like it's important to be asked or important to share with our audience? Kind of a last thing um, to leave everyone with that we have not yet touched on. Yeah, I think I'm going to leave you guys with this little tidbit just because Maddie had mentioned it. This idea that like Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright or whatever way you conceptually define it is just going to show up one day. Um, that's absolutely not the case. <laughs> we have really amazing relationships because we work really hard at the relationships that we found, discovered, or maintain throughout the longer term dynamic of our, our relationship. So I always push people we have exactly what we have in our lives because of the amount of effort that we're willing to dedicate towards its cause. So if you are really looking for a relationship, you really want that to happen for you, I strongly encourage you to get on the apps or get out of your organic environment or to get out into the world in order to be able to sync up with lots of different types of people. Who I ended up marrying uh, was not the man that I envisioned for myself, right? So uh, I think it's just important to make sure that that we are going to get for ourselves what eventually works for us as long as we make the effort to get there. So uh, it takes effort to get there, land on someone. It also takes effort to maintain the consistency in the relationship that we want to see longer term. So um, no shortage of effort. It's not a luck thing. It's not a magical thing. It's a very practical, hey, we can achieve this particular goal by doing these particular things. And I... Like I said, I so appreciate you saying that because I cannot tell you the amount of podcasts or social media posts or anything that I've seen that's just be patient and he'll he'll come along. He'll be there. And it's like it's like anything in life. You have to work towards it. And so thank you for reemphasizing that. Thank you for all of your words of wisdom um, over the course of this past hour and sharing with our um, audience as well as with us. Like I said, I've been over here taking notes. So mental notes for me as well. And I know that Emma is the same way. If our listeners want to connect with you further on social media, if they're interested in potentially um, scheduling, I didn't even ask if you were accepting new clients right now, um, but where can they do that? Yeah, I offer a free uh, private consultation session, so like a 30 minutes or so, just to make sure we're a good fit. Like I said, therapy is not a one-size-fits-all, but you can find me on betterlivesbuildingtribes.com or uh, Instagram at Dr. underscore Megan with all the letters, M-E-A-G-H-A-N. 
Beautiful. And we will have all of it listed in the show notes as well. Well, Dr. Megan, thank you so much for being on the show today. And um, for all of our listeners, like I just said, all of her information will be listed in the show notes as well as our information. Um, So if you want to be a part of another episode, like I said, we sent out a Google form. We asked y'all on Instagram. Um, So be sure to follow us on Instagram as well. It's at Hygge Girls Podcast. That is H-Y-G-G-E Girls Podcast. And with that, um, we will be back with another episode for y'all next Monday. Until then, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay hygge. Stay hygge.